The following podcast is presented by Ensign Services, Inc., a company engaged in the business of providing contracted for administrative and back office type support services to post-acute healthcare clients. Ensign Services provides accounting, human resources, compliance, legal, risk management, information technology, training, construction support, and other such miscellaneous services to its clients. These contracted for services are available to be utilized at the sole discretion of its clients. References within the podcast to the company and its activities, as well as the use of the terms we, us, its, our, and similar terms used during the discussion are not meant to imply that Ensign Services, Inc. or the Ensign Group, Inc. has any direct operational control, supervision, or direction of the independently operated post-acute healthcare entities. Okay, guys, welcome back. We are here with another podcast. Seems like it's it's been a while since our last one, and I'm excited because I'm here with Steve Farnsworth, who is a market leader in Pennant, Idaho, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, and Chase Gunderson, who's the CEO at, at, at Meadowview in, is it Nampa, Idaho, or is it Boise, Idaho, or where is it? Nampa. Nampa, Idaho. And that's right by Boise, right? These guys are are sharing a microphone together. They they look cute. They're wearing matching T-shirts. They're holding hands, and they're they're right there next to the microphone. And <laughs> we're we're excited to uh, to to talk to them. So, uh, really, what we're going to be doing today is is probably breaking this up into several podcasts. I, I almost feel like we have ten podcasts worth of of information we're going to be talking about. So I, I'm really excited about about today. Um, let me start with this. I've always said, and I, I feel I feel like the best leaders, those that really get the best results, are really good at focusing on less and then obsessing about those things. I know recently in Pennant, Idaho, you have uh, started to obsess over a rally cry. Do you want to talk to me? Maybe, Steve, I'll start with you. Talk to me about this rally cry. Yeah, sure. I'll, I'll take a couple minutes here. Where How it actually happened, uh, was it? A little over a year ago, I remember I was in my office. Chase and I, we, we touch base probably daily, wouldn't you say, Chase? It's probably yeah. why you're wearing matching shirts. That makes sense <laughs> yeah. now. Okay. And he sent me a, a text message of an, an article that uh, was from the Wall Street Journal. And it was kind of kind of a clunky send because he didn't have a subscription to the to the to the newspaper, and so he took these screen pictures, and it was just coming through all erratic, but. Uh, as I was reading through this this article from the Gallup Press, there were a lot of points that stuck out to me, and it, it, it was interesting. At the time, we were prepping for our next rally cry going into the next year, and we wanted to focus on our people. We hadn't we hadn't articulated it well enough yet, and it was kind of in the early stages and, and, and a bit clunky. And how that started, focusing on our people, and I'll get back to this article that I referenced here. I got an email one time from our HR resource, and it was uh, regarding turnover and retention. And some of the percentages that I saw were, were starting to creep up. Uh, they weren't out of the norm for, for benchmarks that we usually see uh, in, in Idaho. And I just had a thought. I said to, to myself, and, and, and I talked with him, I said, what if we were to convert this into you know, humans? You know, How many humans are we losing, employees are we losing? So he did, and he did it for the year of 2018, year to date, and it was eye-opening how many nurse aides in particular that we had turned over. Yeah. Uh, the turnover itself was in the low 40s, and one might say, well, gosh, that's that's good turnover. Right. Uh, There's a lot healthy. of people listening to this right now thinking, I would love to be in the low 40s. Yeah, <laughs> and even nationwide, it's, it, it's very, very high. And so people, we were questioned multiple times, and Chase was a part of that, of why, why would this be our rally cry? But when we converted it to people, um, in, in my mind, the way I looked at that is that's that's hundreds of stories that are being shared, uh, not with us, being shared somewhere else that, that we can't control, we're, we're not a part of that. So back to this article that Chase had sent. Uh, when I got this, this article uh, and I read through it, there was a, a slight mention of a book that was being published with all of these studies. And uh, we came across this book called It's the Manager. And I remember ordering, pre-ordering it, and I didn't say anything to Chase. And, and when it came, I think I had the thing read in probably a day, day and a half. And I remember calling you and saying, you, you got to get this thing. It's, it, it's pretty powerful. 
But what's interesting about the the book and, and hopefully to set the stage a little bit here is the study was conducted over 30 years with tens of millions of interviews of employees worldwide across 160 countries and 300,000 organizations. And they, they came to a conclusion that there is a global problem, and that global problem is a lack of employee engagement at work. And as, as I read that and came across some of the statistics that we'll get into, it was as plain as day to me that the concept of customer second. Yeah. And how I personally feel we don't live that nearly to the fullest. So it seems to be a mantra that we say a lot, oh, we are customer second, but the numbers weren't showing that we are. Oh, uh-huh. and, and, I, and I think a lot of our numbers do, a, a lot of numbers of, of our affiliated locations kind of show that, well, we can say that all we want, but but the results don't back it. When I think of this idea of employee engagement, I, I think of the book, Three Signs of a Miserable Job. And I think the other title for the book is, is uh, uh, the what is it the the truth about employee engagement by by Patrick Lencioni, and and he talks about the three things that that you know irrelevancy first of all that that employees don't feel relevant to an overall mission, uh, anonymity they don't feel like their employers know the real them maybe they know the 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 job function the job position person but they don't know the actual them, and then immeasurement they they don't know how their job is being measured very clearly. And and Lencioni makes the argument that this is where uh, employees are failing to be engaged. Well, it's interesting that you talk about that because one of the quotes in this this study that, that struck me and has impacted me probably more than anything in the book, uh, and I'm going to read it word for word, Clay, it says, the need for disruption and how employees are managed could not be more urgent. And, and here you talk yeah. about those three signs of a miserable job. I mean, there, there's an urgent need to disrupt how we manage our people or lead. Substitute the word yeah. lead versus manage in there. And we'll talk about coach as it, well. Right, right, yeah. Chase is going to talk a little bit about that. But but you're absolutely right. I mean, we need engaged employees. I mean, in this study, 15% of the global workforce is engaged at work. And they go as far to say that those 15% are responsible for the global economy. Hmm which is a pretty powerful statement to make, to, to think of that. But the, one of the, the single most profound findings in their 80-year history that they reference is this one thing, that 70% of the variance in team engagement is determined solely by the manager. The okay. direct supervisor, the, direct the, supervisor. the, the person they report to directly. So if I'm, if I'm operating a facility, then it's the department head that, yeah. that is in that is really responsible for 70% of, of well it's funny right I, I, I kind of don't even like to use the word manager okay. it just I, to me it has kind of a negative connotation to yeah. it I, I love substituting the word leader for that because mm-hmm. we've got formal leaders and informal leaders we talk about teams and you know you look at the team of the building you got your IDT team activities all the different departments but that's a fraction of how many real teams are in your building. So either of you, d- differentiate a manager from a leader for me. I mean, what, what, what would you say is, is the main difference? And I don't think there's one right answer, but. What do you think? It's kind of a tough question. To ask on the spot in front of no, millions of listeners. Oh, how many listeners do we have? <laughs> in, front, in front of all 20 of our listeners. Good to see you Um, you know I actually I was reading a book just last night and it was Brene Brown and she defined a leader as anyone who takes responsibility for finding the potential in people and processes and who has the courage to develop that potential that's what she she said was a leader so it sounds like a leader is very much focused on the person a manager is very much focused on tasks yes. because a lot of what you guys are talking, I mean, you're saying let's change the numbers to humans mm-hmm. and a leader, I think a mentality that will change a leader is really starting. A leader is going to practice customer second. I'm, I almost wonder if that's, that's well, one of the things well, to differentiate it. You know, that you bring that up. One thing that, that I sometimes get frustrated with or, or, or just think is silly sometimes is, 
is the the pra- or the what am I trying to say here? The science of leadership or management mm-hmm. is far outpacing the practice of it. Meaning we're learning a lot, but people aren't we adjusting. Read books, uh-huh. we, we watch TED Talks, we talk to great leaders, and so on and so forth. And so we've got this wealth of knowledge of what to do. And we think, think it's the, awesome. The gap is how? how yeah. You know, the, the practice of leadership, I think, is just a whole different stratosphere. So, so let me share this. Uh, I, I, you know, this is something that we've talked about a lot. It comes from the book uh, uh, Extreme Ownership. And it's the, it's the Navy SEAL example, because as we talk about the importance of leadership, I, I just think this is an example that really spells out why it matters so much. I mean, the, the very common statement, leadership matters. So in Coronado, California, prospective SEALs go through something called Hell Week. These guys are amazing athletes that, that in this period of time, they're reduced to wet, chafing, bleeding bodies. People start dropping out like flies. And I don't know if you guys have heard, you've heard this. If you want to quit, if you want to drop out, all you need to do is ring the bell, right? Ring the bell. You can go lie down on the couch. Nobody's yelling at you anymore and and you can just quit. And I think clearly this is not a, anybody taking this test is a physical specimen. It's a mental test. I'd walk in, grab some lunch, ring the bell. (laughs) Thanks for lunch. I mean, yeah, to, to, to even try, you know, you, you've got to you've got to be physically qualified because, again, it is just a mental test. So at one point during Hell Week, these teams are broken into seven man boat crews and each are assigned to uh, what's called an IBS, an inflatable boat small. This boat without any water weight, without any of the equipment is about 200 pounds. Again, if they capsize and take on water and take on sand, I mean, you're, you're now adding to that weight. So the obstacle courses for uh, these seven-man boat teams, you basically have to go, you know, up 20-foot sand berms. You have to run miles along the beach carrying the boat. You have to go through tight spaces, through ropes, over walls. I mean, it's just an exhausting course. And then once you get to the ocean, you have to paddle past the waves, uh, which is hard in and of itself. I'd imagine myself being, you know, capsized a lot. And they say that recruits come to hate these IBSs. They they just, they come to detest them. Now, each crew had a leader. And while everybody was under scrutiny, the leader was under intense scrutiny because, you know, you were the leader of, of the crew. And it paid to win in these races, right? Because if you won, you got to rest the next race. If you lost, you had to do extra exercises. You got yelled at more. Uh, you can just imagine it would be a huge advantage to win because you get to be warm and rest your muscles and all of that. So in one particular hell week, boat crew two dominated. They won nearly every race. They pushed themselves. They worked in unison. Their leader was strong. The the, the crew was, was highly motivated. They were hardworking. They compensated for each other's weaknesses. All the things that you think of when you think of a great team, this is what they were doing. And because they were winners, morale was high. Boat Crew 6 was the opposite. They came in dead last in almost every race. They operated as individuals. They expressed a lot of frustration with each other. And because all of them were used to being winners, they assumed that it had to be someone else's fault. Right. I mean, I think sometimes in leadership we do that. If something's going wrong, it must be my team's fault because I'm used to being a winner. They 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 became very frustrated with each other and they were very focused on themselves, the pain they were experiencing and in their minds, the pain that their teammates were causing them. Okay, I I can empathize with this as I've struggled in facilities. I think of the pain that that people who have made bad decisions are causing me. And that's not the right mentality. It's kind of the opposite of leadership and self-deception. Now, the interesting thing is the leader knew he was the leader of the losers. So when he was being yelled at, it almost didn't affect him. He sort of was indifferent. He just sort of felt like fate had dealt him a, a poor hand. And it didn't matter if he made more effort. They were still going to be the losers. So here's where it gets interesting. The senior chief wants to do an experiment. And he says, okay, I want to keep everything the same. I'm just going to switch the leader of boat crew two and boat crew six. 
Their positions will stay the same. Their boats will stay the same. All of those things are going to stay the same. Stand by, bust them. The teams take off. They go up the sand berm, through the ropes course. They run along the beach. They go through the obstacle course, through the tight spaces. They go to the waves. They paddle past the waves. They go around the obstacle course. And, and, the, and the crew chief was looking through his binoculars as the teams were, were coming in. And in first place, in the first race, is Boat Crew 6. The team that had been coming in last every other time. Second place was Boat Crew 2, the team who had been winning, but now had the uh, leader of the losers, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And and over the next several races, it became a two-man race between Boat Crew 2 and, and Boat Crew 6. With Boat Crew 6 winning a majority of the races, but Boat Crew 2 still winning, you know, a race here and there. And, and here's what he says in the book. He says, leadership is the single greatest factor in any team's performance. Whether a team succeeds or fails, it's all up to the leader. The leader drives performance or doesn't. And as I, you know, I've talked to Chase about this. The interesting thing is, is some, sometimes we're the leader of a boat crew too that is already great. And you have to wonder, you know, are we really good leaders or are we just sort of taking advantage of a great team? But sometimes we are that leader of Boat Crew 2 that goes to Boat Crew 6 that has that incredible amount of influence. And, and just trying to figure out how much leadership matters and how much it affects us. We are not tortured geniuses as leaders. A tortured genius is somebody that they're doing everything right. If they just had the right team, they wouldn't be such a victim. When in reality, as leaders, it is all up to us. Does that make sense? So, so Chase, let's let's bring you into this then. That I, you know, as we talk about the importance of leadership, I want to talk about Meadowview and and your customer second vision. Your, I don't know what your turnover was at, and you can talk to that. I know it's con I, I watch it monthly. It's consistently in the teens. I've seen it go, you know, bounce between eleven percent and eighteen percent. Uh. I know we've talked about the idea that your staff won't go down the street for a dollar an hour more because down the street isn't the same as, as Meadowview. So, so as Steve has talked about engagement, how do you keep your employees engaged? What, what, what is the secret sauce that you've been able to, to apply here? You know, Steve asked me that question about a year into going into Meadowview. It's kind of funny. So just a little background on Meadowview. And you shrugged your shoulders and said, I, I don't know? Or It's really is funny because we bought what, it May 2017. What what had happened is is when some of these metrics were coming out and, and it was getting a lot of press time and attention, I remember calling you saying, you better figure out a recipe on how to <laughs> Keep communi to <laughs> communicate this to people and I just said, no one's going to want to listen to this. <laughs> but so we bought it May 2017. And a, like a lot of our buildings, it was pretty old. It was the oldest building in town. Census ran maybe 60%. They spent more on agency than they did their own employees. Mm. Um, it was kind of a rough situation. They made money some months. They didn't make money other months. Why I went there is another story that maybe we'll get into a little later. But we went in. And we did. We were able to staff in a matter of three weeks. We were able to hire like 20, 30 employees so we could be fully staffed and get rid of all of our agency. And our census just spiked. Like pretty much. This, this is the boat crew six and boat crew two. I mean, that seems like a drastic change very quickly. So the reason it worked is because of, you know, it wasn't one leader. If right. it was just me. Right. We would have made some progress, but we got a lot of key people on board that were all leading their own teams. So everyone pushing. In the so same why direction. didn't those leaders come on board before then? I mean, that's that's where I would argue it does ride very heavily, if not all on you. Or I don't know. Am I wrong? So, I, I know you're going to hesitate to say that. Chase is blushing for those of you that can't see him. When we went in there, the company that was there before us, things were really rough at that point. And so just this, it sounds like a joke, but just telling them we're going to pay our vendors every month. They thought we were like just heaven sent. <laughs> they really thought we were just incredible just because we were going to 
be able to make payroll and pay our vendors, and we are actually going to be able to do things. Well, what's what's interesting about that? I remember being there. Uh, They'd been transitioned multiple times, and and some of the things that we would say just an eye roll. I mean, even in the book, statistics say 20, 26% of employees believe their company will deliver. And the kind of interesting thing about it was <laughs> it's, it's before they were, they were paired with a different building in mm-hmm. our same city. Mm-hmm. And the other building was always views, viewed as like the prized child. Right. The one that was always performing, that was making a lot of money. So you were Boat Crew 6. And so we were totally Boat Crew 6. And <laughs> everyone there was on Boat Crew 6. Okay. And so when we went in... Boat Crew 2 had actually had some things happen where they really fell off. Uh-huh. And they were really excited about the thought of potentially being Boat Crew 2. Uh-huh. And so we were able to convince... But you still, you have to get them to believe that they are now Boat Crew 2, yes. right? You have to get them to believe that they can do that. Again, this keeps going back to these engaged employees and how you do that. And Steve, you're, this is a podcast. You don't have to raise your hand. <laughs> I remember uh, when when this deal came to us and we were talking about it, and we'll talk more about this, but you were out of Hawaii, and I remember calling you saying, we we need this type of a leader for this broken team. Mm-hmm. I remember having that conversation, and that was met with, well, you know, kind of the natural, why, why, you know, I love Hawaii, I love where I'm at, and I'm speaking for Chase, but you know, kind of symbolically that story that you tell, that commander looking at the two. Yeah. I've always appreciated that vantage point that that somebody saw a leader and said, we could probably pair them up over here and get a little bit more of a harmonious outcome. And I mean, it just skyrockets. So so then there's got to be something, right, for everybody listening that says, okay, well, I'm not Chase. So unless we can put Chase in all of these buildings and, and, so there's something about the, the millennials and 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 how they respond and and those that are in what, what's I don't even know what Generation Z is I, that's just I right that's just after millennials right millennials, but I can't even there's something that. about what they're looking for in their jobs and you guys have learned this also a lot through this this Gallup book it's the manager right yes so just finishing up with Meadowview I think what happened was as Steve said people are going to start asking questions and people did start asking questions Mm -hmm. and it was honestly embarrassing because people would ask and I would say like I think we just really love our people a lot (laughs) and people look at you like we love our people too that's offensive (laughs) what else you got (laughs) what else do you have give me give me something give me something and so we found this art we found this book from Gallup and we read that (laughs) and we started reading a ton of other stuff and it was kind of funny, and we'd laugh, and we'd call each other and be like, I didn't even what, know. What would happen is, is I don't know why, but I would get these phone calls from, from people to say, hey, do you, would you care if I went and shadowed Chase? I'm like, why the heck are you calling me? Like, call him and be, you know, go shadow him. But I said, but be prepared. When you go over there, you'll probably leave more confused than when you went because your style is, is it's un, kind of it an unorthodox different. thing that is hard to duplicate. But... It, it, to me, and I'm, I'm not trying to speak for you, Chase, but just from an outsider looking in, it was all about the way they felt, all about the way his people felt. Every time he was around them, he was, he was, I mean, just invested in how you're. So, so there's got to be something you can tell us then that helps, uh, helps our leaders maybe become more self-aware how to make the, their partners feel more engaged, right? And there are some things to do, but it's not... It's not a list. It's not a list. I know you're hesitant to give me a list. I feel like I'm extracting well, teeth right I now. I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, there's a lot. It's it's kind of like Stephen Covey says, first seek to understand. That, what, what does he say exactly? Seek, seek first to understand, then to be understood. Yes. Yeah. And so it's important to take the time to really know your people and what they want, what they're looking for, what their goals are. All of these things, because if you don't know those things, you're going to communicate to them, not knowing if it's important to them or not. I've compared it before to the book, The Five Love Languages, Mm -hmm. and how when we talk to each other, a lot of times we try to love people the way we feel loved, and they don't feel loved because that's not how they feel loved, right? And so I think as 
leaders, we do that as well. So change the golden rule to treat others as you would be treated to, right, the yes. platinum rule to treat them as, as they want to be treated, right? But just stop thinking about yourself and just really focus on them and what they want. And you'll find opportunities to show you really care, you pay attention. Um, and then once you're able to build that trust, so that's a statement that Gallup makes then. They, they say that, 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 you know, millennials and Generation Z, they aren't necessarily pursuing job satisfaction. They want development. And this, the, you know, we'll talk about this as we talk about coaching. They're not looking for a paycheck. They want a purpose. They don't want, I like this one. They don't want annual reviews. They want ongoing conversations. And, and largely what we're going to talk about towards the, you know, the, the second half of this podcast are these important conversations that we need to have this constant feedback that if we can be better at giving as leaders, as coaches, how much it would, it would, you know, really help them stay engaged. So I, I know we've talked about this. How, how do you specifically keep these employees engaged? What, what is it, what is it that we do to, to really specifically keep them engaged? I mean, you really have to give them what they want, right? And Gallup has shown the things that you talked about, they also say they do not want a boss, they want a coach. And the interesting thing that they found was, you know, back 30, 40 years ago, what everyone wanted most was to get married, have kids, buy a house, peace, and then a job came somewhere down the line. And now what they found is that what people want more than anything else is a great job. Hmm. And so if you want your people to be engaged, you have to be helping them work towards that. Well, I think that, I think to that point, one thing is I've watched behavior, you know, out of Chase and, and other leaders that do this really well is uh, this younger generation doesn't care if you're involved in the details of their life, as long as it's appropriate, obviously. <laughs> but uh, that's a little and, caveat and, for and, HR. <laughs> make sure that it's appropriate. But I hope you understand what I'm saying. I mean, just how are the kids, or how you know? I know you've been struggling with this. They they appreciate somebody who's invested in some of the details of their life. And 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 one thing that I you know I witness Chase doing, and 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 I try to do this too. And this is something that I think everybody could try to do better, and and at least give it a shot is possess a relentless curiosity in your people. Mm. If you're curious in them, not necessarily in them in their work role, but just them in general, I, I think one of the most dangerous questions is I tore a building and I try not to ask this question when I'm walking by somebody in the hallway. How are you? I mean, if they just got out of a room, they're frustrated, somebody who they, they, they worked on and provided bedside care and, you know, the patient. It's a polite them. question, but it's not a curious question. No, no. Yeah. And so every time it's met with, you know, oh, they, why are they even asking me that? They don't yeah. understand what I'm going through right. versus, a, you know, stop and hey, I'm so and so and get a little bit of dialogue going. But that's something I think every leader can possess is a relentless curiosity in their people. If they'll practice that, it gets easier to get to know your people. It gets easier. And it also is almost too much fun that you have to like apologize sometimes. Like, am I asking too many questions here? Right. right. Yeah, well, I, you know, I, I, I talked to another leader uh, in, in our, our uh, Bandera or in the Bandera organization. Um, and uh, well, I'll just say it. It's Jason Postle. And, and Jason, uh, Jason mentioned a lot of things that his department heads do for their people. He says they, they give rides, they throw baby showers, they, they jump their cars, they, uh, they babysit. They, I mean, he just goes down this list. And it's the last statement that he makes that I, I just, he says, I think our employees stay because they feel cared for as a person, not as an employee. And, and, you know, Chase, I've heard you talk a little bit about, uh, you know, and as we talk about praise, you've talked about manipulative praise versus genuine praise. And, and when we care for people in a manipulative way versus actually just caring about the person, again, it comes back to leadership and self-deception. Uh, I, I think, uh, you know, making sure they know what their expectations are at work, they have what they need to, to you know, we, we, we go through this list of things. They feel like their opinions matter, all of that stuff. 
all of these things that help them to be more engaged. Um, Steve, can you talk about the benefits that, that uh, you know, th- there are some statistical benefits that, that Gallup talks to us about sure. uh, when you have engaged employees, when, when you're actually, when you're actually caring about the person, you're, you're, uh, you know, reaching out, you're having the conversations that you should have and they're feeling engaged and they're feeling part of a movement. What are the, what are the statistical results that Gallup has found? Yeah, just a couple uh, and, and I'm just going to read these off in order, Clay. And sorry if this sounds mechanical, but 41% lower ab- absenteeism. I mean, who who doesn't want to have fewer call offs? Fewer call offs in the heat of battle. <laughs> 58% fewer patient safety incidents. Hmm. Uh, I think you just recorded a podcast with. Uh, oh my gosh, I forgot her name. Lindsay. This is awkward. Very <laughs> awkward. <laughs> I know her face. Um, 24% lower turnover in high turnover organizations. That's that's very significant. 50, 59% less turnover in low turnover organizations. 10% higher customer ratings, 17% higher productivity, and 70% fewer safety incidents. Hmm. Yeah, so worth our time. That's, that's all you had to say. Worth yeah, our time. Absolutely. You don't need to give all this uh, dr- drama. I... I Chase, you talk about, so let's talk about this coaching idea, right? This uh, employees want to coach, they don't want a boss. Can you, can you talk to us what you mean by that? Yeah, so they want somebody that can give them clear expectations, tell them what their job is. We talk a lot about green and clean mm-hmm. and Stephen R. Covey. And somebody I've heard of it. Yes. <laughs> We've all heard it from you. <laughs> um but they want somebody <laughs> that's going to be able to tell them, this is your job, and help them to learn to do it without telling them the methods of how they're going to do it. They want someone that's going to help develop them so that they become capable of progressing and becoming you know, a leader or getting whatever great job it is that they're wanting to grow towards. And so they want somebody that's invested in helping them be better, not somebody that's invested in making sure they do their job just right. It sounds like they want to be involved in the goals too, right? I mean, do your do your laundry workers and CNAs, do they know what census you're trying to get to? Do they know what what flag criteria you're trying struggling to achieve? Are they aware or are they just being handed a list of things that they should be doing? If they're getting the list, they're not going to be engaged, you're saying. If they're getting the goals and, and understand the expectations, they're, they're much more likely to be engaged. And, and, and you, not only are they aware of the goals, but they help set the goals, which is really yeah. important. Well, I think Gallup references that, that if they're involved in their own goal setting, they're four times more likely to be engaged. And they say only if they're involved. 30% of employees are involved in that process. Right. So nobody likes a goal handed down to them. <laughs> I mean, that's a boss, right? Yeah. So... We like but even worse that. than that, they don't even know what the goal is. They don't. They're 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 paddling a boat and they have no idea where that boat is headed, right? Or, or where it aligns with yeah. anything strategic or the vision of, of of the facility or the organization. Could could you imagine? I mean, I, I don't enjoy running anyway, but but could you imagine <laughs> if if I just said, okay, I want you to run, just run. You don't, and I don't tell you. Any times I want you to hit, any distances, I don't tell you. I just say, just run. I'll tell you when to stop. I wouldn't run for five seconds. (laughs) You wouldn't know what to do. But if you say, okay, we're going to be doing five laps. This is the time we got last time. This is what we're – now there's much more engagement. You're actually trying to beat times. This is sort of the measurement factor of of three signs of a miserable job, right? But I just feel like a lot of our employees oftentimes are just being told, just run. Don't ask any questions and run. And they're not involved in the times that they're achieving, how fast they were going, how they can beat that. I would just be miserable. I, it goes to like the goals and then being involved in the goals and also getting meaningful feedback of how it's going. So, all right. So we do annual reviews with people, right? I mean, is that meaningful feedback? You're laughing at me. It can I be. Hate, I hate those. <laughs> Sorry. It, it can be. I mean, is that enough? So, so I mean, what would your rule be? Rule of thumb for for giving meaningful feedback. According to all of Gallup's research, it said it should be at least once a week. 
So if I'm, a lot. if I'm a lead, that is a lot. So if I'm a leader, I'm thinking of all my direct reports and I'm asking, am I giving meaningful feedback to each of these direct reports at least weekly for it to be meaningful? And I bet 99.99% of, of listeners right now are, are saying, I don't. And I don't think it has to be, it doesn't have to be weekly for it to be meaningful. Okay. But that weekly feedback helps them stay motivated. Helps them know they're on the right path. They can continue on without feeling like they maybe are doing something wrong or they need to change something. You don't think it's demotivating? I mean, if they're getting feedback so consistently, I mean, can that be? That's actually. I so think, correct me. And if we want to okay. get into like praise and feedback, <laughs> uh-huh. we can. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it is very demotivating if it's all negative. Well, my, my thing is, is, is we pride ourselves being an organization of accountability. Uh-huh. And, and oftentimes we think that accountability is synonymous with something you're doing wrong. Yeah. Negative accountability. Negative accountability. And so I, I, I kind of laugh and joke that it's the, the red and blue mentality as a manager. I mean, you know, you're driving down the street you got your seatbelt on. You're not on your cell phone in California. You're, you're, you're obeying the speed limit. But yet a police officer pulls up behind you with the red and blue lights on. What does your heart do? It yeah. just drops yeah. because you have no clue why this person is here. What, what did I do wrong? And sometimes I fear that we confuse con, you know, constant conversation or feedback with constant criticism mm. of people. And so whenever they see you out on the floor, if it's associated with something negative the safest place for them to be is away from you because if they're just constantly hearing negative feedback, you want to hide hide. And and that will never foster the trust that, that we've got. I mean, that's, that's a very valuable asset to have is trust in our people because they'll listen to us. They'll, they'll allow themselves to be coached if they trust you. Um, So so talk to me then about positive praise then chase. I mean, what what you, you, you seem to be a big believer in this and, and, uh, it sounds like a pretty simple concept, um, but you've almost had some epiphanies regarding positive praise. Yeah, you know, I recently read a book called Big Potential. And as I've been reading, I've been, because when we talk about Meadowview, like we started off pretty well and things were going well. And then as we started reading, we realized we're on the right path, but we have a long way to go. Mm-hmm. And as we've implemented more of those things, our performance has gotten much better and our turnovers actually gone down dramatically as well. And one of the biggest aha moments I had actually was with Prace. Um, I was talking to somebody and they told me that praise as a ratio should be given 10, you should give praise someone 10 times for every one time you give any negative or constructive feedback, hmm. which is a lot. We probably have that reversed in some Completely cases, Completely reversed. Right? <laughs> and you know what's interesting is I started experimenting with it, and I tried to give meaningful praise. Mm-hmm. And I'd bring them into my office and shut the door, and we'd talk, and I was shocked at people's response. Because I thought I gave plenty of praise, but people almost without fail would get emotional about it. Mm-hmm. Like they hadn't heard it. And I read the statistic that said, over 80% of managers feel they give constant praise, but only 17% of employees agree. 83% of employees feel that praise is given seldomly or never. And my experience as I've been trying to praise people is that I haven't been praising even close to enough. And I was one of those 80% of managers that thought I was doing a pretty good job with it. So um, you make sure you go around and you say, hey, you're doing a great job and pat people on the back? Okay, I mean, it me. could be that. Okay. And we'll talk about some of the conversations we have. Uh-huh. And sometimes it is something really simple. Because if you're going in and you haven't praised someone, and then you go in and you just lay it on thick, it's mm-hmm. kind of awkward. Yeah. It almost can be fake. It feels or, or, manipulative. Or pushed. Yeah. And if it's, if it's fake at all, or they're perceived that it's fake at all, it's going to feel manipulative and it's not going to be meaningful to them. So could it be something really small? Yes. But it should be specific. Also, what I noticed is that a lot of the times I did give praise, it was by comparing them to someone else, Mm. saying you're better at this than they are, which isn't praise at all. That's just comparing. Well, that can be dangerous too. And it shouldn't be lifting someone else by tearing other people down. 
So I've, I've read quite a bit about praise and I found some really interesting things with it and just how important it is. One of the things that they talked about was how we create a virtuous cycle by praising employees just four times a year. That if we praise employees four times a year, they give twice as much praise to other people they work with. Mm. And, and, and specific praise. I mean, I think that's an important thing. I love how you, I love how you greet the family members when they enter the room. You're so good at connect. Instead of just saying, hey, I think you're such a great CNA. You're, you're really specifically telling them the talents and skills that, that they are good at. And that, that is much more meaningful to them. And you can do it anywhere. The other day I was walking down the hallway and we have this nurse who, without fail, has four residents just around her. They just want to be close to her. And all the CNAs want to just be by her. And I somehow found her by chance alone. And I pulled her aside and I just said, thank you so much. It is so nice to walk down and see all of the employees and all of the residents just want to be with you and how well you treat them. And she really got really emotional. And then I bet she treats her CNAs similarly. I bet she starts to look for the good in them and, and uh, it, it changes how we see things with, with the relationship, right? So that's another interesting thing is they found is that when we don't praise somebody, that usually they interpret it negatively. So not only do we miss an opportunity to say, hey, you're doing a great job with this. When we don't do that, they think I'm doing something wrong. Mm. The other thing they found, Wharton School of Business did an interesting study that I really liked and they were wanting to try to help people to be givers. And so the first thing they did is they had them give three examples of a time that someone was very generous towards them. Mm And so they wrote it out and they talked about when someone was generous and it had very little impact on them. But when they asked them to give an example of when they were giving towards somebody else, that had a dramatic impact on how much more they gave and wanted to give because they then had a very clear image of themselves as a giver and givers give. Mm. And so when you are praising and praising those strengths, they're going to start using those strengths more. And it needs to be very genuine so that their strengths are being put to use and that they get stronger and stronger to the point where their weaknesses become irrelevant because their strengths are just so powerful. Interesting. Becomes sort of a almost a self-fulfilling prophecy as people want to rise to your praise rather than running from your criticism. And, and if we just change that mentality as leaders, uh, it seems like it could have such a such an incredible effect. I have a six-year-old Gray, and he's a funny little kid. Mm-hmm. And without fail, when I tell him he's funny, immediately he tells a joke, and they're always terrible. But it's like, <laughs> I'm funny, I'm telling a joke. Well, I mean, you say, you say something pretty profound that when you when you praise to a strength, and, and I think a strength is something someone's passionate about. Mm-hmm. Somebody can be very good at something, but hate doing it. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if that's a strength or not, but praising to the strength... And not neglecting the fact that we need to address gaps in performance and outcomes and things like that. But I've kind of always said, you know, feedback I give is is 75% focused on the praise of the strength and 25% is on areas to improve. Mm. So we, you know, not to to hit the rewind button, but you talk about annual reviews and so much time goes into, if any at all, focusing on where the person is weak where they need to improve, and, and it, we've got graphs and things that we put into that. And the thought comes to my mind, what, what would happen if we invested that same amount of time in, in genuinely finding areas to praise what this individual is strong at and passionate about? Hmm. And, and I've started to do that a little bit in my, my personal experience, along with what Chase said. It, it's transformative. Um, it's very impressive to see, and it has to be genuine. You know, I, I, I go back to the, and, and then Chase hop in here, but I think of the book, Leadership and Self-Deception. You, we've got leaders that focus so much on the accountability side, which isn't wrong or bad, but sometimes in my mind's eye, I, I see a leader like that that's that's a bit rigid, that everybody knows they're focusing on the accountability, 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 and they try to adapt some of this stuff, this niceness, mm-hmm. or I'm going to start praising and 
I can just envision people looking at leaders like that, like they've got a tail hanging off their rear end. Like, who is this person? (laughs) You know, we need to be careful that you can go to all the seminars, you can read all the books there are, but the practice of leadership hasn't caught up to the to the academia of, of, of what we're learning about it. I mean, yeah. praise really is one of our best tools to help them so. develop, and it's what they want is to develop and prepare themselves for so a So why do job. we hesitate? I mean, this sounds so easy, and it almost makes it sound like this would make my job be so much better. What, why do we fail to praise the right way? You know, I think... I think people have a hard hard time being vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And sometimes praising someone feels a little vulnerable mm. and it feels vulnerable for them. And I think it is awkward for some people. Do you know, I think too, one of the things I, I, I've noticed as I've tried to get better at this and, and Vanessa, I'm working on it. Uh, as, I, as I've tried to get better at this as a leader, um, I'm sometimes shocked like you are as, as to their response and, and how much it means to them. And the thought frequently comes to me, I'm sort of surprised they care what I think. I know. Totally surprised. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if that makes sense to you, but I'm sort of surprised that they actually care what I think because I, I don't I, I don't know if that makes sense at all to it you. Makes sense to me. <laughs> May not to Steve. What? <laughs> you know, I think actually Steve knows everybody cares what he thinks. <laughs> Shift the target. (laughs) You know the biggest reason I think people don't notice is because I think we've completely trained ourselves, especially in our regulatory environment, to look for all the risk and for everything that can go wrong. Hmm. And so we're out there trying to eliminate any risk, and it's all we see. What what, what was that Tetris study? Can you share that with? Yeah, so I love this Tetris study. Harvard did a study where they had a big group of people and they had them play Tetris all day long for hours and hours and hours. And what they noticed when those people left is that they started to see those Tetris shapes everywhere. Mm -hmm. Everywhere they looked at the grocery store and the toilet paper line or whatever, they'd see the L shape perfect in there. And Because that's what they were trained to look for. That's what they were trained to look for. And we totally train our minds to see what we see and to look for what we look for. So when a lot of people are rounding the building... And they're walking through the hallways. What are they looking for? All the tiny little things that can yeah. go wrong. Mm-hmm. And they're oblivious to all of the incredible things that are happening all around them. And so instead, you're walking down the hallway and all of the employees that are killing themselves, working as hard as they can, are thinking, what did I do wrong now? So train our minds to look for the good. Yes. I, it's, it's, um, <clears throat> excuse me. it's also that video of the, the you know, try to count the number of times the white team passes the rubber band ball and and you count it successfully at 13 passes. And then the question is asked, but did you see the black belt gorilla? And in 50% of the cases, people miss the black belt gorilla. I mean, how do you miss a black belt gorilla? Because you're just trained to see that white rubber band ball. And if you're tossed. missing a gorilla, what else are you missing? What else are you missing? Well, Everything. I, I think back yeah. to the, um, back to that question of why do we, why do we not, praise more. In my experience, when we are programmed to, to critique and find what's uh, in deficit in our industry regulatory-wise or performance-wise, that by not focusing on that, I, I think subconsciously what happens is we think that it's not going to improve. Yeah. If we focus on praise, then we're neglecting the yeah. true opportunity. And that, that is, that's false. Because, I mean, studies show you focus on the praise, they are going to own it. But you do still need to correct, right? I mean, is there a balance to it? Because Absolutely. You have to be realistic about, I mean, in our environment, you have to be realistic about the risk and things that can go wrong. But you're saying our issue is that we're more heavily weighted towards finding the things going wrong and that we're just very underutilizing the tool. The industry itself. Like in our market, we have Steve Farnsworth, our market leader, Mm -hmm. and then Rachel Rose, our clinical market leader. And they praise so much. And we know exactly how they see us. We know how they regard us. We know that they value our relationship. And so when they are giving us some feedback of something we need to work on, it doesn't feel negative at all. It feels like they're coaching us, helping us to make sure that we continue on and we're successful. That's weird. Rachel never praises me. 
So yeah. no. Okay. She praises a lot of people, so <laughs> well, <fair enough. laughs> don't, don't feel bad. So <laughs> so I think that should make me feel bad. Uh, you know, I, I I it makes me think of a Stanford University study that uh, it they gave these children a series of progressively harder puzzles. And the children that were praised for being smart tended to stagnate in their progress. But the children who were praised for their hard work and their effort continued to improve. So I think it's really important what we praise too. I mean, I can, I can praise Steve Farnsworth for being tall, but that's kind of dumb because there's not a whole lot that Steve did to be tall, right? Um, but if I praise him for things that he really can affect and that he can change, I think that is something that's much more motivating. And I almost just think as coaches, we need to be more conscientious of, of how we're praising and what we're praising and, and that we're more specific in our praise. And, and I just feel like it's a tool that, that could really change it's things hard. for the better. No, I was just going to say, I mean, our our rally cry, it's kind of silly, is hug and hold them. And where, uh -huh. where we got that was from Greg Popovich. And mm -hmm. he, he's got a famous quote that says, um, we tell them like it is, but we love the hell out of them. Yeah. And, and we hug them and we hold them. And so, you know, I'm, I'm reading a book right now called Belichick. And to watch him coach, like to read how, his, how he coaches. He's not all that cuddly, is he? No. no, but it is interesting to watch him. There's a bunch of YouTube videos as he's in practice, how he treats his players and how they respect him. There, there's a definite investment in their feelings yeah. as you watch this guy. It's pretty impressive. Going back to your praise and how we need to be careful, I think sometimes we're subconsciously or consciously we do give praise. And we talked about how powerful it is and the label we give, how powerful it is we need to be careful to give the right label that's going to help them develop to get to where yeah. they want to go. Yeah. So we have to know them well enough to know, yes, I could praise you for this and I could focus on this, but this is a lot, this other thing is a lot more important that we need to work on and to really zero in on that area. So it seems like this is where the, the leader, the coach really, uh, shows his or her value, right? I mean, this is really what we need to be focusing on. And I, I know, Chase, you've said sometimes you feel like this is what you do all day and and going and connecting with and 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 hopefully everybody listening will will, you know, kind of set some goals with uh with their teams and their people. What is it that we're going to do? Uh, you know, what is it that I'm gonna do differently so that I can build my team get them more engaged, get them feeling more involved and, and, and uh, you know, start to see some of those results that, that Gallup has, has promised us. So Steve and Chase, I want to thank you guys uh, for this podcast. Grateful to, to have you come in and, and excited to talk to you again. Thanks. Thanks.